0: Was anyone paying attention to the song that was playing while you were greeting one another? Anyone know it? Thriller by Michael Jackson. Now, I was the proud owner of the vinyl original album. It's in my parents' house still. 1982. I was only five years old at the time, but Michael Jackson was cool. But the most important part of the Thriller song was the music video. Anyone, anyone, yes. 14 minutes long, it was like a mini movie it was a movie within a movie and for some reason it scared me and yet i owned the videotape of it videotape tell the children what that is later okay i owned a video 1983 and we've got thriller we're going to see if we can get i was going to play a clip for you all but it's a little scary i don't want to creep anybody out at church so if you don't know, it starts off with Michael Jackson. He's on a date. It's a throwback. He's telling the girl, professing his love, and he says, but I'm not like other guys. Why? Cut to full moon, and then Michael Jackson turns into a werewolf. Well, I looked at the video again this week, and I realized he's more cat-like, so we'll say cat. I found this image of him just like chilling on the set between takes, having a sip. So there we go. It's not as scary right now because I'm trying not to frighten you. But let me say, 80s effects and all, it was very frightening as a child. So much so that I didn't really like full moons for a while. And I really just, I still don't like haunted houses or the dark at all. I mean, I was one of those kids that We had this den in our basement where we would all watch TV at night, and then if it was my turn to turn off the lights, if I was the last one down there, I would flip the switch and take off up the stairs. I mean, I know everything in the light was the same thing as when I flipped off in the dark, but suddenly, something could be there that I didn't know before, and it was frightening to me. The darkness brought the unknown. Now, today, we're gonna walk along in the journey with our friend, the author of Ecclesiastes. He's making his way through life and trying to figure out meaning. And it's a little bit like wandering through the darkness searching for light. If you want to turn with us, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2 today. In the blue Bibles in the pews, it's page 472 or on your devices there, we're going to build on what we talked about last week. Chris introduced us to Ecclesiastes, saying we're not really sure who the author was. He takes on the persona of Solomon sometimes, but historians aren't sure if he's truly the author. And he began in chapter 1 by standing before an assembly of people, and you know what his motivational message was? Everything's meaningless. Life is a vapor. Have a good day. Now, let's see where his search takes us because he himself is striving to find meaning in life. We're going to start in the middle of chapter 2, we're going to go a little bit out of order. So I'd like to begin by looking at the futility of wisdom. That's what my section header said. So I'm going to have Alicia read for us verses 12 through 15 and 17, please.
1: It's on the screen, don't worry. I'll probably lose my place so i'm using my phone i have the nlt don't worry um okay so i decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness for who can do this better than i the king i thought wisdom is better than foolishness just as light is better than darkness for the wise can see where they are going but folks but nope fools walk in the dark yet i saw the wise and the foolish share the same fate Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. Fast forward. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind.
0: I like in the message, the last little part says, it's like spitting into the wind, which we all know is a bad thing. Now the author seems to enjoy seeking wisdom. We kind of gather that he is a man who wants to learn more. He likes knowledge, intelligence, being in charge of the situation through his information. So it probably used to bring him a lot of joy in life, but somehow he has come to this conclusion. He starts to look around and he sees the people in his culture in his day, and he sees that the wise people and the foolish people all end up in the same place, dead. These are some dark thoughts. He's questioning, what is my point? Why do I even try? You know what? Some people struggle with scripture like this. Maybe you know of some Christians out there. They get a little nervous when you start questioning. It's easy to just paint a rosy picture and say, now that you have Jesus, everything's happy, right? They're afraid sometimes of questions. But God's not afraid. He is in mystery and when the tragedy of life strikes, he's okay if we ask questions and wonder where he fits in. You, we've talked about Job here and how Job spent his life having good things. And then when it was all taken away, he called out to God and he asked why and he asked what was going on. God didn't crush Job. He accepted his questions. Now, he didn't give him all the answers, but he did speak. He did communicate to Job. He did respond. And that gives us a model saying, it's okay to ask questions. In fact, questions like these were what brought a friend of ours to faith. Steve has a co-worker named Nathan. He, He and his family were just at our house this week. Now, Nathan grew up loving information. He still does. I do some work for him. He's always telling me new facts. But when he was a kid, he thought, okay, if I have all the answers, then other kids can't taunt me. What he didn't realize that that couldn't protect him in his own house. He had a family member who used his intelligence against him. She would twist things around and attack him with the information he learned. So when he was old enough, he moved out. But he continued his education. And when he was in college, he met a friend who told him about the Bible. He was skeptical. I mean, he saw all this goodness and light, everything in the New Testament that talked about Jesus. That sounded so positive. But he knew the opposite existed. Darkness, evil. He'd experienced it. And he'd studied philosophers that says, you can't have good without its polar opposite. Where is it? That's when he found the book of Ecclesiastes. He said that's just what his faith needed. He needed to see that someone intellectual was struggling, was questioning, was was finding meaningless in life because that brought to light and it brought balance to the goodness in Jesus. So he had to go through meaninglessness to get to the gospel. Let's look in another section and find out What did the other author do next? Verses 18, and then jump 21 to 23, please.
1: I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless, a great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. The author here is
0: striving to use work as fulfillment. Now, often in the Bible, when we talk about work and toil, some of the versions say, I envision what was common practice at the time, farming, working the land, very physical labor. But if we're saying that this author is taking on the persona of the king, of a teacher, of a leader, he probably wasn't doing the day-to-day work of farming and providing daily bread. His work was probably more strategic, mental labor rather than physical. So, in that aspect, I was reminded of our trip to Geneva last year. We have another smart friend. I have all these smart friends. It doesn't rub off. He is a theoretical physicist, which I had to watch Big Bang Theory to figure out what that was. But last year, he was on sabbatical from teaching here at UC, and he spent his entire year at CERN. And it's a fancy place, But he worked on research with the Large Hadron Collider, which is, there's gonna be a lot of things here. What I know, it involves protons, hydrogen, electromagnets, and there is 27 kilometers of this kind of a pipe underground. It spans from France to Switzerland and back again. And they send these protons at such high speeds that there's billions of collisions per second. And all of that is so that scientists can look at smaller and smaller parts of matter. Sub, sub, sub subatomic. It's like the quantum realm in Ant-Man. Yeah, that's what I'm visioning. This is what science is looking for. Our friend, that's what he does. He works day and night. And he never stops researching because he has to stay at the top of his field. Someone else could get ahead. So he travels the world, he presents, he publishes. And you know what was interesting to me? We walked into the Visitor Center at CERN, and I saw something on the wall. Three questions, written in different languages. It's hard to read here. I'm going to read it. It says, where did we come from? Where are we going? What are we? My friend and his colleagues spend their lives working to find the meaning of life. Some things haven't changed let's look ahead or backwards actually let's go back and look at verses one and two of chapter two and we're going to see one more way
1: that the author says he's trying to find meaning in life i said to myself come on let's try pleasure let's look for the good things in life but i found that this too was meaningless so i said laughter is silly what good does it do to seek pleasure
0: So, he says what good does it do, but then, if you keep reading the verses, he still tries it anyway. It talks about wine and vineyards, gardens and parks. He just took whatever he wanted, slaves, concubines, other people's treasure. He chose positive and sinful ways to try out the good things of life. And yet, he still concluded the same as before. Alicia, if you'll
1: read here verses 10 and 11. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So even the good things in life. You think hard work
0: and education seems tiring. But then he tried to have fun, and he still found Nothing truly fulfilled. Nothing gave him the light he was looking for. It was still darkness. Now, I think we've all known people, and maybe it's our story ourselves, choosing unhealthy ways to try to find meaning. Maybe even the good things in life that have turned into something more of a crutch to support us, but yet it still never satisfies. But what I was thinking of when I was studying this scripture is a little bit different perspective on the meaninglessness of pleasure. It started because I was standing by a babbling brook. Sounds poetic. I was in a stream in a friend's backyard and it felt very peaceful. And as I was thinking, oh, this is a lovely break in my day, in my busy week, and all the stuff going on in my mind, I was just thankful that God gave me peace. And while that was nice, I really didn't have that many burdens on my mind at the time. I had a to-do list, first world problems. And suddenly I realized, what is this? This nice day for me. It's meaningless because when I go back and I open up my phone, you know what I'm going to read about? I'm going to read about families at a border being separated. I'm going to read about bombs in Syria. I'm going to read about people in Venezuela like our missionary friends that Echo Church supports, and now they only have water running one day a week. Even closer to home, I'm going to look on Facebook and see my friend's update, college friend, the chemo didn't work. I'm going to talk to my neighbor, and he's going to tell me how he was harassed walking down the street because of the color of his skin. I'm going to talk to a coworker and she's going to tell me that her depression threatened to defeat her again. So I just look around and I think, I try to distract myself. When it doesn't affect me personally, I can. Fun is good, but sometimes, sometimes I don't want to think about the other things. Some people don't have that choice, do they? They can't enjoy everything under the sun because darkness is always present. So, what do we do? If pleasure is meaningless, if our work will never satisfy, if all the education in the world won't give us the answers, then what? Sometimes we see things in unexpected places. And that especially can happen when we look through the eyes of a child. And our our good friend Ryan here is an amazing writer and she talked about this light and dark concept. And I want to read her words because they're more poignant than mine. Ryan was looking at her daughter Ramona's fear of the dark. This is an excerpt from her article. Every evening when the sun starts to set, my daughter picks me a bouquet of light. The front door of our house is glass paned, so she crouches in front of it where lines of sun are drifting across the wood floor. She pretends to scoop something up, the motion very much like picking a flower, and then runs to me with empty hands. Here is some light, she says matter-of-factly. After she makes her delivery to the couch, she runs back to the door and crouches again, staring at the light and the shadows shifting on the ground. Something catches her eye and she reaches for it. This time, she holds the emptiness like a ball and runs back to me with her hands cupped. And, she says, breathless and proud, pleased with her selection, here is some dark. She figured it out without me. She toddled into a mess of shadows and scooped up everything, the dark and the light both. I think Ramona's found the answer. Our life is pretty messy. Even on the sunniest days, there's shadows. But even in the darkness, we see a little bit of light. We need to scoop up the light and the dark both. As I noted in the beginning, like Ramona, I was afraid of the dark. And truth be told, sometimes I still am. Our basement at our house, you can only access it from the outside. And if I have to go down there at night to get something, I still flip the light off lock the door real fast, and run up the stairs to my safe house in the light again. I just don't know what's out in the darkness. But more recently, I've come to appreciate there's something in the dark that I can see better, and that's the light of the moon. I'm no longer worried about werewolves coming out like the thriller video. Now the moon gives me some peace and some hope, and it points me to someone eternal. The one who created the light and the dark because God gives us glimmers of light in the darkness. And what the author of Ecclesiastes, what he really didn't know at the time as he's exploring that the things themselves weren't meaningless. His quest to fulfill his life with those things were meaningless. And we know there's more to the story. The author of Ecclesiastes knew the creator God who made the sun and the moon and the stars. We know the same God came to earth to live out our experience. The author of Ecclesiastes knew the promises made to Abraham, to Moses, to David. We know how God fulfilled those promises. We know the salvation he brought through Jesus. We're not painting a rosy picture here. Just because we have Jesus in our lives doesn't make life easy. But with Jesus, when we're in the darkness, we can remember there's a glimmer of light. Perhaps because we've experienced the darkness, we can more fully appreciate the light. Maybe you're stuck in darkness because of circumstances that you can't control. Maybe you've just been trying to find your own way. Wherever you are today, God is ready to provide light. And it's not a quick fix. He just promises to be there day after day. And if you forget that, we're here to remind you. We're a safe space here at ECHO. And we're called to be here for one another. So you can share your struggles Because that's how we know how to hold your burdens for you. Together we can scoop up the light and the dark. We can go out and work and learn more and have fun in the brilliance of the daytime. And we can stand together in the scary nighttime and point to the moon. Let's pray. God, some darkness is unspeakable and we know that there are people in this room and on our hearts who are wandering in the darkness and it might be by their own choices or it might be something they can't ever have wished upon themselves and it feels meaningless to keep going in life. But God, thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for bringing light and glimpses of it into our life. Help us be that light for other people. Through your love, through your hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.